welcome to the IonHoops.com podcast with your host, Guy Flotico. Hey, we made it to 40 episodes of the IonHoops.com podcast. Thanks to you all for your support, all five of you. Uh, just kidding, it's not that bad, and I blame COVID. Uh, let's see what happens when we get a real season going on around here. Uh, anyway, so we got a great guest for you this time out. It's Sean Paul from MakingTheMadness.com. He's a youngin', uh, but you wouldn't know it by the rep he's already developed out in basketball circles. Uh, think you know his name but aren't sure from where? How about this? He predicted 15-seed Oral Roberts beating a two-seed Ohio State in this year's dance before the brackets even came out. And suddenly he went from unknown to having 5,000 followers on Twitter and praise and support uh, from national basketball writers everywhere. Um, you also may know him from something else. A few weeks back, he made some waves among Mac basketball fans on Twitter by saying that Iona can go undefeated in league play this year. Anyway, this was a fun interview, so stay tuned for all of that. But first, it's time. Iona Iota's time. Iona Iota's. TBT, we hardly knew ye. Last episode, I talked about the roster for Gale Nation in this year's uh, TBT, the basketball tournament event. But just moments later, the D- the TBT told Gale Nation, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Another money-grubbing organization at work, people. I guess they just couldn't risk a smaller school making any noise in this event and taking out teams representing bigger fan bases. So TBT, take your Elam ending and get off my TV screen. You're no longer interesting. I am this. Rick Pitino's Greece national team made some noisy Olympic qualifiers, but eventually fell short of the goal by uh, of qualifying for the Olympics. Uh, after a tight loss to a Canada squad that's loaded with NBA players, Greece routed China and Turkey before falling to the Czech Republic on July 4th in the finals of the qualifiers. Uh, it was a great run for Greece, but the Hall of Fame coach made it clear in the press conference afterward that the Iona Gales are his first priority. I'm, I'm no longer the, the national coach. I, this was a one stint for me. Um, it's not. It's something that takes a lot of my time. Uh, it took six weeks, and I still have a team back home. Uh, I have assistants that are recruiting, so obviously I have a job. And it, this is a um, a one-shot deal. They have a lot of. Um, they don't even know who's in charge of the federation yet, uh, but there are a lot of terrific Greek coaches that can carry on what we tried to build this week. And um, certainly I'm there to help them in any way. I love Greece. I love the players I'm coaching. But uh, this is a one-shot deal for me. And speaking of Greece, Twitter poster Gale Nation Hoops created a bit of buzz in recent days by posting that Iona will indeed be traveling to Greece from August 19th to 30th. However, I confirmed shortly after that report that it's a bit premature to say that. No plans are finalized or announced at this time. And yeah, COVID is still a concern, believe it or not. Uh, while the tri-state area is floating close to 70% fully vaccinated, uh, Greece is only about 36% vaccinated. That said, I think we all agree that we hope Gale Nation Hoops tweet turns out to be dead on. So stay tuned and maybe we'll hear some official word about all that soon enough. I am a rare fourth Iona Iota, and let's call this one a 21-gun salute as well, as we wish New Rochelle legend and longtime Gale fan Tom Parati to rest in peace. Tom went by Old Timer, or OT, on the Iona message boards for many years and was known on the board for comically grumbling about, well, everything, uh, no matter how well they were going uh, for Iona basketball. He always found something to gripe about. 
uh, a former lieutenant on the New Rochelle police force. In recent years, uh, when his health allowed, Tom enjoyed Iona games from a courtside wheelchair. Um, and now he's going to be watching from a much better seat. Tom was 96. Rest in peace, buddy. And now the offer roundup. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Just a couple new offers uh, reportedly uh, since the last roundup, all from the high school class of 2022. Uh, the Gales reportedly offered 6'7", small forward Jalen Martin out of Tallahassee, Florida, a four-star top 100 player with a 4.1 GPA. Uh, he has offers from Florida, Georgetown, Ole Miss, Virginia Tech, VCU, South Florida, TCU, and others. Another recently reported offer went to N.D. Okafor, a 6'9 power forward from Nigeria, who is part of the NBA Academy program in Mexico right now. He's got offers from Arizona, Georgetown, Baylor, Creighton, Rutgers, TCU, and others. Finally, the Gales also reportedly offered 7'1 Swede William Berg. Berg. I had to do it. Um, his only other offer on the table right now is from Montana State. And only because I miss using the bite. I have no news to report from. Okay, enough silliness. Let's get to our guest. It's time to welcome in our guest for this podcast episode. His name is Sean Paul. He's a writer and podcaster for makingthemadness.com. And he has developed one hell of a reputation in one hell of a short time. Sean, welcome to our program. And tell us about yourself and how you got going in this in this business. Yeah, thank you for having me. Definitely happy to finally be on here. You know, I love the lower mid-major hoops and mid-major hoops in general. But yeah. You know, this kind of, for me, all started in May of 2020, kind of just in the mix of COVID going on and everything. And, you know, I was just bored. And I always loved college basketball. And the guy who runs Making the Madness, Jonathan Warner, at Bracketologist3 on Twitter, uh, I kind of already knew him a little bit from Twitter just in general. I didn't really have much of an active account, but I just followed College Hoops accounts on there. And I followed him. And we talked pretty frequently. And, you know, I, I was like, hey, I think I could – you know, do some content for your site, would love to help out and do this and that. And then, you know, it kind of just blossomed from there. I didn't exactly expect it to become what it has been. But, you know, I'd say just hard work and knowing the right people certainly hasn't hurt just getting in contact with the right people. And, you know, one thing that people have told me, whether it's, you know, coaches or other writers is that they respect what I do and they see how hard I work. So that kind of goes a long way with them. So he's, uh, he's at Sean O2 MTM on Twitter. He's, uh, up to, uh, almost 5,000 followers in a blink of an eye. Um, but you did make a big jump in March from what I remember. Tell us why. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think the date was, I think the date was March 9th. I tweeted that, uh, you know, if Oral Roberts is able to get a 15 seed, cause that was far from a lock. I mean, it could, they could have been a 16 seed if they were a 15 seed and Ohio state was a two seed, which seemed like the lock. I think that Oral Roberts could beat Ohio state. Obviously that ended up being the matchup and the rest is history. Ohio state lost to Oral Roberts. And every time I explain that to somebody, they're like, how do you know that exact matchup was coming? It's not that I knew that exact matchup was coming. It's that, Oral Roberts could only beat Ohio State out of all the two seeds. Like, they, they just matched up very well with them because Oral Roberts was a pretty small team who shot a ton of threes and didn't rebound the ball well or defend. Ohio State, 
although they were better on defense and a little bigger and rebounded a little better, they were still pretty small relative to most teams in college basketball. So I was like, okay, if there's a team that Oral Roberts can beat, it's Ohio State. They weren't beating Houston. Uh, I don't even remember who the other two two seeds were, but I didn't think they could beat them either. Uh, so I was just like, you know, I'm going with Oral Roberts to beat Ohio State. If that's the matchup, I'm, I think that's going to be an upset. And then the the bracket kind of played favorably towards them getting to the Sweet 16 because I don't think Florida or Virginia Tech were very good, and that's who they got in the round of 32. So I kind of just thought Oral Roberts had a very good draw. And, yeah, like I said, I mean, the only two seed I could have seen Oral Roberts beating was Ohio State. So that's why I worded that tweet that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you another uh, two seed. Uh, that was Alabama. They played some Alabama. School named, they played some school named Iona, but we'll talk about yeah, that that's later. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> I guess you didn't feel like that was going to be upset. Anyway. No, nah, it was uh, close for a bit, though. <laughs> it was. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So I, 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 I won't tell everybody how young you really are and how uh, you've already developed, again, this following. And it feels like you're on a great career path to, to be in this industry for a long time. Uh, but I know that you obviously have been a basketball fan even before you got involved with Twitter and everything. And, uh, and you don't get into doing what you do, especially following the mid-majors like you do without knowing about what Iona's done in the past decade or so, or so under Tim Kloos. Um, There's a lot of talk in recruiting now about transfers and JUCOs and grad transfers, and everybody wants to talk about the portal and all of that. Um, but I like to go back to those early years of Tim Kloos in the early 2010s. I feel like he kind of revolutionized recruiting in some ways because he was on board with the transfers and JUCOs right away. And a lot of people actually use that as a reason, I think, to like not like Iona or say, well, Tim's never going to get a job somewhere else because you can't recruit that way at the big level and all that other mm. nonsense. So uh, um, tell me about what you I know you were young and I'm not going to say how young, but I know you were young. Tell me about your, what you remember about those earlier Iona teams and then watching over this past decade. Yeah, you know, I really just when I got into watching college basketball pretty deeply, I was just like, I didn't really like seeing Iona, like Scott Machado. That was one who really stood out to me as a great player. But, you know, I would say just the consistency that they had was kind of just something that stood out to me. I don't, how many tournaments did they end up making in the last uh, decade? Seven. Seven. Yeah. That's pretty consistent. So, <laughs> you know, uh, just the, the ability to, retool every year is just something at this level you need to be able to do. Clues did a great job of that. And I spoke to Jared Grosso about a year ago and did an interview with him. And that's something he really uh, talked about that coach Clues taught him and all that, how they were on the transfer train before Eric Musselman and all them were, even though Musselman gets the credit for really uh, revolutionizing college basketball roster wise with the transfer portal, they did it first. So I mean, they just don't get the credit that they deserve for sure. And obviously Grosso doing a fantastic job at Bryant now. Absolutely. Um, so you, you kind of said you kind of got going in May, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, 2020. So I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to make you rewind your, your life here a little bit. It's March, 2020 and it's early March, 2020. And we're all sitting around watching some college basketball uh, conference tournaments start to get underway. And then all of a sudden word comes down. Everybody starts canceling. COVID is here. What were you what were you doing at the time? What were, were you involved in watching any particular game? What do you would you think about how everything kind of ended last season? Yeah, throughout that whole kind of day, you know, obviously I was watching all the conference tournament games. It was the first round of the ACC tournament, Pac-12 tournament. So all the high major tournaments started that day. And I was just kind of like, okay, well, here we go. 
it's the best time of the year, it's March. And then just kind of as the day got rolling, you just kind of heard whispers like, hey, if this COVID stuff starts getting out of control, you never know what can happen. And I was like, mm, that would really suck, but I don't see it happening, right? Like, I just, I was like, there's no way they cancel the NCAA tournament. That's the biggest moneymaker in all of college sports. So, and then, uh, you know, it was Arizona, Washington, that was in the afternoon, I think, and that kind of finished up. And I feel like there was just kind of like a, there was a game, like North Carolina, I think, played somebody, and it was a blowout or something like that. And then after that is when Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. And then just after that, it was just like, okay, none of the games the rest of the day seemed like they mattered. Because I think everybody was like, oh, this might actually get canceled. So it was like Xavier lost to DePaul. They were off the bubble. And Stanford lost to Cal, I think. And they were off the bubble. But we're like, does any of this actually matter? Because the season might be canceled soon. And then obviously Creighton and St. John's play a half of a basketball game. And then the season was over, which inspired my uh, Twitter profile picture. But yeah, that was just such a weird day. I was pretty devastated, to be honest with you, because love college basketball and March Madness is just special. And the fact that we didn't get that last year, obviously stuff out of all of our control, out of the athletes control, out of the coaches, out of the NCAA's control. But it's just, you know, we could just talk about hypotheticals forever about what could have happened that year, you know, with Dayton, San Diego State being real national championship contenders, that's something that might not ever happen again. So it just looked like such a special season, and you know we're just never going to know what actually ended up happening. Well, a week after all that, um, it's, it breaks news everywhere in college hoops that uh, Rick Pitino is going to Iona to coach to replace Tim Close. Uh, your initial thoughts when you heard that? I mean, it's Rick Pitino. Like, you know, you could think of what you want of him as a person. Like, I know there's some people that certainly question his character and the way he's handled things in the past. But if you're Iona, like, obviously, Coach Kluse, retired health issues, definitely wish him the best and all that. But that was definitely something that was in my mind. Just, you know, he had such a great tenure at Iona. It sucks that it ended that way. But if you could hire anybody in the country for that job, Rick Pitino's a guy. I mean, there's no question he's a top five, top ten coach in college basketball history. And if you can get him in this conference, he's going to win games. And he showed that in year one that he's going to be able to win games. And he, you know, had to retool the roster pretty fast. So he was able to get some, obviously, like Isaiah Ross and Asante Gist, they were back. But he's able to add, like, Nelly Jr. Joseph, who was pretty key. and That was a big-time get because he averaged, what, 12-8 and eight as a freshman. Getting guys like that, a lot of guys that people, frankly, hadn't really heard of before. And then they came out to be big-time contributors. Iona obviously dealt with a ton of COVID issues during the season, like every other team in the yeah. conference. But, you know, Rick Pitino is the best coach in the conference by far. No disrespect to any other coaches. But he's one of the best coaches in college basketball. So if you can get him at Iona, you do that 10 times out of 10. It's really a story. It was totally a strange season. And even the off season, of course, we know it was strange. Everything was just kind of weird. There's no AAU season at all. Everything is zoom and zoom visits and all that. And everybody's just recruiting online and, and, and there's a, everything was a gamble and yet it is Rick Pitino. And you know, he is re recruiting to a, uh, a smaller pond for sure. Um, so we were able to land some good players because of it. Um, so, you know, if you put yourself as, uh, somebody who follows Iona uh, and, and watching what happened at Iona last year, where, you know, there was obviously good potential early on, and then they were shut down after shutdown. And then next thing you know, you're almost at the MAC tournament. 
just for, let's not talk about the Mac tournament yet, but tell me about as, as somebody who just watches basketball, what were you thinking? Like watching, I want to go through shutdown after shutdown. I mean, you know, I was pretty critical of what Rick Pitino kept saying. Well, he's like, oh, cancel the season, delay the season and all that. I'm just like his May Madness idea. I just, you know, I just didn't like the idea because it was never going to work. So I was just, I was pretty critical on Twitter. If you look at some of my past tweets, I was just kind of like, I think this is really stupid and it's not going to work. But I mean, I guess he had reason to think that way because obviously Iona just got absolutely destroyed by COVID. But they were able to get it together. Obviously, I mean, it was pretty. Not not every coach in the country can can get that going the way he did. Obviously, they didn't play a ton of regular season games. But most, you know, maybe they fold. You know, that's not something every coach is able to get the the train back on the trail there. And it was a strange, even Mac tournament with the way the seating was done. Um, certainly there's a lot of debate about that, even from people outside the Mac at the time where they seated everybody just based on the number of wins they had, because everybody played such an uneven schedule. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a major problem with it. And I own it was a nine seed and I didn't have a major problem with it. I kind of understood why <laughs> they did it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you still got to win. You still got to win the game. You still got to beat who's in front of you. And, you know, there's a lot of frustration that, everybody's belief that Iona and Santa were two best teams and they're playing in the quarters. Um, mm-hmm. But it was still f- far from a, a foregone conclusion that the winner of that game was going to win this tournament. Um, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say you, you I'm going to assume you were not surprised that Iona won the Mac tournament. No, I thought the winner of the Iona Siena game was going to win the conference tournament for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and that game didn't look like it was going to go that way. Uh, Siena was up nine with about nine to play. Uh, so it was, it was certainly a, a great finish for Iona fans. And we left to tweak our friends from Siena about that, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> so, Hey, we're talking about two fifteen matchups and you have Iona and Alabama when you saw the bracket come out. And again, somebody, I know you were fo- focused on, uh, on uh, Oral Roberts and, and Ohio state because of the comment that you had made there, but, what did you think about that match when you first saw it? I mean, I was like, I thought Iona could keep it close. Like, I don't know what the spread was. There was 16 and a half. Yeah. I thought Iona would cover the spread. I didn't think they'd get blown out, which they didn't, obviously. They it ended up being 13, which wasn't indicative of how close the game actually was. But at the end of the, you know, when did they start kind of trailing? Like in the second half, 10-minute mark? Yep. That was kind of... they. They just ran out of gas. They weren't as talented, and that's just kind of what happens sometimes in the tournament. Alabama just finally got it going a little bit. But it was impressive that Iona was able to stay in that game the way they did because Alabama was coming in really hot, and they're just a super explosive team. They can shoot They shoot a ton of threes. They play super up-tempo, and they were one of the best defensive teams in college basketball last season. And the thing about that Alabama team is, a lot of teams that are high-volume three-point shooting teams, if they have an off-night shooting from three, they're you know in danger of losing every time. Alabama, because of how good their defense was led by Herbert Jones, they were in every game, even if their three-point shooting struggled like it did in that one. Mm-hmm. But I think it was pretty impressive the way Iona was able to be in that game for you know 95% of it. They just couldn't hang in at the end. And you know if they shot the ball better, you never know what could happen. They could have won that game, but it's Rick Pitino. And any game that Rick Pitino coaches, I'm not necessarily going to bet against him. I mean, they're going to lose games, obviously, but he's Rick Pitino and he's going to keep his teams competitive. So Iona comes out of that game um, and, and they say goodbye to Isaiah Ross and Asante Gist, a great senior backcourt that uh, did a lot of wonderful things in their time at Iona. Um, so you feel like, well, maybe the Pitino won't, you know, won't be able to, to recover from this. They'll take a little step back Iona next year, but 
something called the portal. <laughs> it, it giveth and it taketh away, I guess. And um, for Iona, it certainly giveth. Uh, but before we get to what Iona did and what the rest of the Mac did in the portal, um, there's been a lot of talk about it uh, and and where that's going and and what we can might see next year even. Um, good or bad? What do you think about the portal? I think... You know, that's a tough question. Yeah, I've answered it a lot of times and probably given a bunch of different answers. <laughs> I'm going to say it's mostly good in the sense of I like the the ability for the players to choose what they want to do. And, you know, for some players, it's going to end up being a poor decision. There's no question about it. Some players are going to end up making a wrong decision that could derail their career. That's going to happen. But that's their decision to make in my eyes. So if they want to make a career choice for themselves and it ends up being the wrong one, that's on them. That's that's the decision they made. But hey, some of them it really works out. Like Johnny Juzang going from Kentucky to UCLA. He was the best player in the NCAA tournament last year. Last year Kentucky didn't make the NCAA tournament, so he made a decision for himself, and it ended up paying off. It's not going to pay off for everybody, but I think at the very least, the way we're going in college basketball, I think the athletes should be able to make that decision for themselves. So yeah, and I feel the same way. I think there's no guarantees, no matter what. If you have a good mid-major player who transfers up. Sometimes that'll trend that will, that will be reflected in, in terms of, okay, now he's facing better athletes, bigger athletes, and those numbers aren't so great anymore. And, uh, or sometimes they are able to even, they're just scratching the surface themselves and they blossom and can really take it to the next level and be a better player on the flip side, a kid who, you know, maybe is not as, wasn't as good as his recruiting level showed goes down a level and flourishes, or maybe he even mm-hmm. comes that goes down a level and really doesn't do all that much. And, just with somebody that was just totally over recruited all along. Um, so I think there's enough of that to balance it out. I think it was assumed that mid majors would get slaughtered in the portal. And I, I haven't really seen that. At least I don't mm-hmm. think so. At least it doesn't look that way. I mean, I guess we'll know as this year pro- progresses, as this season gets going. Um, so let's talk about Iona's portal efforts. Um, and like I said before, I mean, you know, you can't really, if you're a mid major, you really can't do much better than what Iona did. Uh, they're bringing in two, uh, two all AEC caliber players in Tyson Jolly and Elijah Joyner, and then a very solid contributor from Louisville, uh, um, uh, and, uh, Slazinski. So, um, just talk about what, I mean, what those three guys can bring to an Iona. Yeah, obviously it's impossible to really replace the production Isaiah Ross had, but then is it impossible? Because Tyson Jolly, two seasons ago, had 15 a game for SMU. Last year he was hurt for almost all of the season. He only played eight games, only started one. But in the final game of the season in the NIT against Boise, he had 17 points. He looked like himself. But most of last season, I don't really count last season for Tyson Jolly because he didn't play until almost February, so he missed most of the year. And he averaged 9.3 points per game, but he's just a lights-out shooter, can really score the ball from all three levels. He's very impressive. And this is a guy that was a former top 100 recruit, started out at Baylor, who just won the national championship before going to a JUCO for a season and then going to SMU. But he was very impressive for the Mustangs last year. I think he could be one of the top scorers in the conference. Elijah Joyner, he's going to set the table really well. He's capable of scoring, too. He had a very good shot against Wichita State a few years ago to win the game that was, you know, put him on a lot of people's maps, I feel like. They got to realize who he was. But he's just a very good do-it-all point guard. He's going to set the table. He's going to rebound. He's going to play hard. He's going to defend. He's a Rick Pitino kind of point guard. You know, it's kind of like the Peyton Siva kind of role at Louisville. I don't think Joyner is 
quite as good, but it's just kind of, you know, that's the kind of role he's going to play next year, I feel like. And Quinn Slezinski, I think he's a much better shooter than he showed last year at Louisville. His numbers aren't great, but he has a solid form. And at that size, six foot eight, he's going to be able to shoot the ball. He'll probably split minutes with Dylan Von Eich, if I had to guess. And both are able to shoot the ball from outside, so that's a nice little uh, duo you have there starting and off the bench. And we started talking before about the Mac doing pretty well in the portal too. Um, who do you think were the winners and losers in the Mac in that regard? I mean, a loser, certainly Sienna, right? They lose Jalen Pickett. Obviously he didn't have his best season last year. Statistically, it wasn't as good when you watched him. He didn't look as crisp, but he dealt with a uh, hamstring issue. And I believe he dealt with some COVID issues there at some point too, like the whole program did. But Jalen Pickett, really good player was Sienna's I mean, last year, I guess they gave the Conference Player of the Year award to Manny Camper, but he was really good for a number of years, all three seasons. They added some good pieces. Uh, Sienna did with Anthony Gaines from Northwestern, Colby Rogers coming in, Jordan Kellier from Utah. I like Kellier's game. I think he's going to have a pretty good season. Michael Bayer, who was a walk-on at Iowa. You know, I just don't think they improved at all. Like, you, you lose Colin Golson, too. You lose Jordan King, who was a top-three scorer on the roster and could really shoot the ball from outside. But losing Jalen Pickett's a big one. You just can't really replace that kind of production. They're going to have to prove that they're able to find a guy that can step in in the point guard role and do everything that Pickett does because he's a true do-it-all guy. He could drop a triple-double any night. They don't have that guy next year. I, I think Iona's a pretty big winner. And I like, even though Monmouth, I think, only added one player, I do like Shavar Reynolds a lot. He was a pretty solid contributor at Seton Hall last year in the Big East. High-level defender and can shoot the ball from three. He's going to fit in nicely with George Pappas coming back, who entered the transfer portal but decided to come back. And then Miles Ruth, who I think is a big-time breakout candidate, one of the best on-ball defenders in the conference for sure. I was going to ask you about two other guys. I, interesting uh, to see in the Mac, and I don't. I know there's been other players in other leagues that did this, but players who left their original team and then are now using taking advantage of the extra year to come back. And of course, I'm referring to Marfo at Quinnipiac and Vaughn at Ryder. But I mean, you think it's more a product of uh, of just the extra year? You don't think this is something that we're going to see moving forward? Yeah, I mean, if we didn't have the extra year, both would have been out of out of eligibility. So I don't think it's going to happen that often. It's not the only instances we saw of it. We saw Jason Carter going from Xavier to Ohio, started at Ohio, and had 16 points per game like three years ago. There's a few other instances of it. Uh, Jariah Horn started at, he's been at like five different schools, but went to Colorado last year, played in the tournament. Now he's back at Tulsa. And there's a few others off the top of my head I can't quite remember. But, like, Kevin Marfo led the nation in rebounding two seasons ago. I just never really thought he was a high major player. He just isn't tall enough. He's not, you know, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well just just uh, skill-wise. He's a really solid rebounder, but just wasn't going to be able to do that at the high major level. And Domencio Vaughn, most of his buckets just came from being stronger than most, most players in the MAC. And that wasn't going to translate in the SEC either. So he was able to drive a lot, put the ball on the floor. That wasn't going to happen in the SEC. So both kind of just didn't work out. I didn't think either were really high major players, but they went back to where they were before, and they're both going to thrive this season. Well, we were we were just talking about Ryder a little bit there, and they're one of those teams. I mean, everybody kind of kind of already has Iona locked in at number one. 
but there's been a lot of debate <laughs> the rest of the way. Um, I have riders, one of those teams that can really be a surprise this year. Um, but I want to give you a chance to share some teams that you might, I mean, and again, it could be a whole number of them, but share some teams you think could be, uh, could threaten, I guess, uh, Iona and the Mac. Yeah, I like Ryder. That's a good one. I think I probably have them second in the conference right now. If I had to redo a power ranking, I like Cedric Altman, who's a pretty solid contributor at Pepperdine. Mervyn James they, uh, did some really good things in North Alabama. DJ Murray's back, and Domencio Vaughn obviously is going to be one of the best scorers in the conference once again, averaged 15 two seasons ago. I like Manhattan's roster, but their offense is just so bad every single season that I'm just, you know, are they going to, even though the roster is good, how good are they going to be on the court? That's something I want to see. You obviously, you have Ant Nelson back again. He had a solid first year at Manhattan. You had Josh Roberts, who's a really good rim protector and athlete from St. John's. And Jose Perez, who I assume is probably going to get a waiver. I, I mean, I would guess we saw James Akinjo mm -hmm. get one yep. uh, the other day going to Baylor. And Jamarius Burton going to Pittsburgh. Both two-time transfers. I would assume Jose Perez gets one. He should be a pretty instant contributor for Manhattan. And I think they have the roster around him. You know, I like Elijah Buchanan, Samba Diallo, who came in last year from UMass, Warren Williams. They have some good pieces on the roster, but again, that offense is just so bad that I don't know. I, I just feel like they could have, like, the five best offensive players in the country, and they would still find a way to underperform <laughs> scoring-wise. I just don't think it really matters. They're just so stagnant and just boring to watch. Wow. I still watch them, but it doesn't make it any more fun. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm a believer, you know, and I'm, I'm a big Mac supporter, obviously. And uh, I just feel like you can make a case for every team in the Mac that if eh, a couple things fall right, they're going to finish in the top five of the league. Um, is there anybody in the Mac that you just don't think that way about? I would say, man, that, that is a tough one. I would say probably... I don't necessarily love what Canisius' roster looks like, so I just don't really see a way they're going to be able to do it. Malik Green, solid player. I like him. I just don't think that roster is very good. So I think they're one that I don't see being top five. I, I, you know, I think Sienna probably will end up being in the top five, but there's, there's a scenario where they can be. I just don't necessarily see it. I just feel like there's going to be a jumble of teams yeah. outside, outside of Iona and Ryder and, you know, maybe Monmouth. Manhattan's probably in that mix that are just kind of you know solid. They're not great. They're not terrible. St. Peter's, they're probably going to be pretty bad. They lost Casey Nadefo, who still hasn't transferred anywhere, so maybe he comes back. I don't really know what's going on there, but their offense was terrible last year too, and they lost their best defensive player. So that doesn't necessarily bode for that being a great season for the Peacocks. Yeah, this feels like one of those years where you feel like there's going to be like eight teams somewhere between 12 and 8 and 8 and 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's going to be fun. Um, all right. So you you did create a little bit of a buzz uh, when you had a certain tweet a little ways back uh, suggesting that Iona can go undefeated in the Mac. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm going to give you a chance to defend your take. I mean, as an Iona fan, of course, I agree that they can, but a whole lot will have to fall right. It's just it might just be too much to ask, but I want you to make your case. Yeah. OK, so you have a top 10 coaching college basketball history. I feel like it's pretty undeniable. You could argue top five, and I wouldn't argue against it. It's Rick Pitino. He's won a lot of games at a lot of different places. You can question again. You can question what he's done in the past. He wins games, and that's all that matters in college basketball, really. So, I mean, you, you still see Will Wade coaching at LSU. He wins games. That's why he's still there. So you look at the roster. You have Elijah Joyner starting at the one 
I would assume, right? That's probably safe to yeah. assume at this point. Yeah. You have Tyson Jolly at the two. That's a guy who averaged 15 points per game two seasons ago. Joyner averaged 10 points, four rebounds, and four assists last year at Tulsa. And then at the three, you go Barrick Jean-Louis, one of the best defenders, not only in the conference, but in I would venture to say in the entire country. He is just an unbelievably good defender. And then at the four, you can go Dylan Von Eich, you can go Quinn Slazinski. Those are two big men that add shooting ability onto the floor, stretch that floor out a little bit. That's going to be a good little tandem there. Probably both play like 20 minutes a game. I think that'll work out well for both sides. And then at the five, you have Nelly Jr. Joseph, who had a very good freshman season, 12-8, and eight, I believe. He's probably going to be even better. I just think over time, he's going to be one of the best players in all of mid-major basketball. Then off the bench, you have Osborne Shema, who Rick Pitino compared to Gorgie Dang like three months ago. So you, know, you never know what can happen there. I think he has a ways to go, but Rick Pitino likes him. He also likes Trey James, so we'll see what happens with those two. Uh, you have Ryan Myers, who's a lights-out shooter from deep. And then you have Colton Cashaw, who's using the extra year of eligibility. Rick Pitino also said he was like the worst shooter he had ever seen before he got or when he got to Iona, and now he's a much better shooter. So I don't think he's really going to play much of a role, maybe, but that's another depth piece you have there. I just there's not a single roster in the conference better than Iona's. I there's some pretty good players in the conference. You know, Demencio Vaughn's a good player. Malik Green's a good player. Uh, but I think that Tyson Jolly is probably the best player in the conference, even because Jalen Pickett's gone, Manny Camper's gone, Casey Nadefo's gone, uh, Isaiah Ross is gone. So a lot of the guys last year who were the guys, Deion Hammond, he's gone. Uh, so a lot of the guys that were the big guys last year are all gone. So that means Tyson Jolly can step in and average, you know, 15 to 20 a game, and I wouldn't be surprised because he's that kind of scorer. You have one of the best coaches in college basketball, like I said. You have a roster that can go eight or nine deep. And you have the best starting rotation or starting lineup in the conference without a doubt. I just think they're the that the only argument that I can really understand is that it's hard to go undefeated in any conference, which is true. It is. But there's they're going to be favored in every single game by the Vegas odds. And to me, that says that they can go undefeated in the conference. Okay. So let's let's play. I mean, Iona's non-conference schedule is still putting being put together. There's a couple of uh, really good opponents uh, on it, but um, let's assume Iona performs reasonably well out of conference. Maybe only loses to either Bama or Kansas and Orlando. Maybe one other loss in there, or maybe even two other losses. Let's say they go, uh, we'll say seventeen and three in the MAC, and then win the MAC tournament. What's a top off of a seed uh, for in that situation in your mind? So what's their overall record in the scenario? Let's say so. Let's say seventeen and three. Let's say let's say they've got it was seventeen and three in the MAC tournament, and then you figure they'll go they'll win six out of league. So twenty six and six somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I would say to, yeah. That's that's tough. I would say, and I mean, I guess did they lost their both the the big games they played non conference. Yeah, let's assume they haven't. Okay. They didn't beat anybody of of real substance but they okay. beat some good majors. So, okay. So I would say that probably, I would say probably like a 12, okay. 12 seed there. You know, they don't have any crazy wins. That's going to boost their net rankings. Crazy. They didn't beat Kansas or Alabama. They didn't win those games, but they beat the teams they should beat. So that shouldn't drop their seed line much. I think that's a 11, 12 seed. Obviously a lot depends on what other teams do, but I think that's a 11 or 12 seed probably. Yeah, and and that and that's even what uh, what Patino said after the, the loss to uh, 
Alabama last year in tournaments is we actually, we want to make our schedule a little stronger. We want to be a little stronger ourselves. You have to get into that, at least that 13 range to really have a legitimate chance to beat somebody not that you can't beat somebody from a lower seed but certainly the chances go up considerably once you get to around a 13 or especially a 12 um mm-hmm. so so you think that that's in range just throwing those numbers out there like we did yeah i think 26 and 6 could certainly get you a 12 seed even in the mac but like i think just bolstering even in, let's say they lose them and let's say they disappoint a little bit in the mac and lose like six games and end up being like a 14 seed or 15 seed again you look at what oral roberts did last year getting back to them they loaded their non-conference schedule with a bunch of road by games they played arkansas who they ended up losing to in the ncaa tournament that was a big time test they played oklahoma state max a smith against cade cunningham that was a great battle they played wichita state they played missouri those are four big time non-conference games that they got paid to go play because it was a bye game those were four games of all teams that made the ncaa tournament i think just bolstering your non-conference schedule as a low mid-major team is something you have to do obviously just to you know pay the bills keep everything running in the program but just in general to you know beef up the schedule so because when you get to the tournament you're not going to be playing teams in the summit league or the or the mac when you're one of those teams only one team's going to get in so you have to play against teams that you're going to play in the NCAA tournament to really be prepared. Well, I'm going to flip this and I'm going to, uh, I know for a fact, there's one person who strongly disagrees with you and that's Rick Pitino. Uh, he does not believe in playing guarantee games. Iona does not want to have one on the schedule this year. Um, they're playing Seton Hall at the garden, but that's a return game from the game in, at Seton Hall last year. They're playing a lot of games, neutral site, and even the, you know, the big games, neutral site that they're playing. Um, they're having trouble finishing their schedule because they can't, mm. they, they're not just willing to go play a guarantee game somewhere. And then I guess, even if they are, I mean, does somebody want to pay them to risk that loss? <laughs> uh, you know, who wants to pay Rick Pitino to come there with a good team, you know, exactly. so they're struggling to find games just based on that. Um, but he does, I mean, he likes the Gonzaga approach that Gonzaga took before they became Gonzaga, where they were not playing guarantee games. They were just, let's get some, you know, one for ones. We'll play you at Madison Square Garden instead of you coming to New Rochelle, which nobody's going to do, of course. Um, so let's play that R1 R- at Madison Square Garden. Let's let's do some of those kind of matchups. Let's play non-league uh, events in Orlando and uh, in Atlantis in a couple of years. They're going to be in that event. Um, uh, they're playing, um, you know, uh, Yale and Brooklyn. You know, so they're, everything is neutral site there. Um, so that completely different approach. No, he just does not believe in road games. Hey, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that, that approach works too. If you win the games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I if mean, you can get the games. <laughs> yeah. You're still playing the tough opponents. I guess Iona's is probably a little more wealthy than some of the other programs. I don't uh, know their exact finances up top of my head, but I would assume just based off of their history of winning recently, that they're probably a little more wealthy than some of the other uh, lower mid-major programs in college basketball so they could probably afford to do it some probably can't but also when you're rick patino you can kind of just do whatever you want i feel like and nobody will question it so yeah. and he's rick patino yep yeah. and and the other thing i want to ask you as we, as we start to look toward next season um we're starting to see some reports trickling and it was a possibility and it looks like it's, it might happen uh that iona is going to be playing in greece uh in august uh patino is going to take the gales over to greece to play some games there what what kind of a benefit is that to a team like this that's adding, uh, you know, two guards who didn't play before, but obviously have a lot of talent and, you know, another great transfer. And of course, the, you know, the freshmen are able to go. Yeah, I just think camaraderie wise, just the team chemistry going on a trip overseas like that, it's 
a long, I don't know how long of a plane flight is. I'd guess like 10 plus hours, probably it's a long plane flight. And obviously Rick Pitino knows Greece well, cause he coached there with one of the better Greek, uh, professional teams there for a number of years after he left Louisville. But yeah, I just think they're there for like what a week and a half. Is that what I saw? I I think that's the, the about the time frame it'll be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just a lot of things you can do team building wise. You can see different things. I'm sure I haven't been to Greece. I don't know how many college kids have been to Greece. So, I mean, that's just probably something not many of them have experienced. They can experience something new. They can go on a bunch of different, you know, trips. They can experience a lot of different things there. They get to play games in Greece. I just think overall the main reason he's probably doing that is less so about the games and the results, but more so about the team chemistry and team building exercises, which obviously if you're, you can have as much talent as you want, but if the team doesn't get along, you're not going to win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just a, you become a family on a trip like that. There's no doubt exactly. about it. And but, but one thing that Patino said last year, and the, one of the biggest things that, that hurt them with COVID is the lack of practice time. He couldn't even pr- put in all his presses and things like that uh, because there was just no time. So even that that time of just playing all those extra games and practices uh, gives him that time to put in all those multiple presses. I mean, that's that's scary to think about. Um so yeah, I'm, I, I am, and I, of course, all Iona fans are just pumped and can't wait for the season to get here. I know just being a, a junkie like you are, you can't wait for the season to get here. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us and sharing your Iona and Mac thoughts with us. And we can't wait to see what happens with you uh, and what who you might be predicting for next year's NCAA tournament. <laughs> hey, thank you. You know, maybe Iona goes to Sweet 16. You never oh, know what's going to happen. He said it here first. And if it happens, I'm going to play this all about 100 times. Yeah. Okay. It. Just, just make sure, uh, you know, you remember that because it's what <laughs> is it July? It is July. We're four months away from the season kicking off or tipping off, I guess, in this case. So we're, we're a ways away from the 2022 NCAA tournament, but if Iona makes a sweet 16, I said it on here first. So <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot for coming on and I uh, can't wait for the season to get here and to see your continued coverage. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Sean Paul for joining us and thank you all for listening. With life returning to almost normal, I appreciate everyone who makes the time to listen and provide feedback. But as we know, I know basketball season never ends. Let's go Gales. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IonaHoops.com podcast. This podcast is a production of IonaHoops.com and its publisher Guy Filatico. The opinions shared during this podcast are those of Guy Filatico, IonaHoops.com, and any featured guests. This podcast is not affiliated with Iona College Athletics or the college itself. Thank you for supporting IonaHoops.com.